Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have part two of our two-part series all about the expensive mistakes from a tax perspective when selling a business. In part one of this two-part series, we looked at the small business CGT concessions, what they are, why you'd want to access them, and some mistakes that can be made in trying to access them. In this episode, part two of our two-part series, we're drilling into some case studies, some of those examples that Paula and I have dealt with in the past that are ripe for discussion in relation to this topic. Now, just to give you a little bit of a background to Paula before we launch into this second part of a two-part series, Paula Tallon is the Director of Taxation at Prosperity Advisors, a group with over 25 years of experience in the tax profession across large and mid-tier accounting firms in the UK and, of course, here in Australia. So, Paula brings with us some fabulous uh, experience in tax sufficient structuring, successions and exits and she really understands the pain um, of business owners in trying to understand this really tricky area. So without further ado, let's launch into this episode with Paula and before we do that, I just want to remind you that we have a webinar coming up very soon where Paula and I talk about the expensive mistakes to avoid when selling your business. Paula will be talking more about the tax perspective and I will be drilling into some really important legal areas as well. You'll find how to register for that webinar in your show notes and also over at our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com. Look for this episode and you'll find a link there in that episode page. But for now... Let's tune in to part two of this two-part series. Here we go. Okay, we're back with part two of our two-part series, all about that exciting topic of tax. Wonderful. And we have the fabulous Paula here on the show to join us today again. Paula, thank you for coming back. Thank you, Joanna. Delighted to be brought back. Well, I had so much fun talking tax the first time around, um, but I really want to talk stories. I love to hear the case studies. I love to hear how does this play out in reality? And I've got a few to share myself. But um, why don't you kick it off with telling us what your most memorable story is of, I guess, issues, or perhaps even you might want to talk about resolutions of dealing with small business CGT concessions and um, the qualification for business owners into those well Joanna probably the best thing I tell it can I tell you my success stories first so the yes, people who, I love people success who come stories to me of course set, the, yes the people who keep you by their side as they grow their businesses because yeah. with those people I can keep them in a way where you know they can access the CGT concessions now in the last episode we talked about that net asset value and keeping it at six million and I suppose if if I'm involved at a very early stage, I can help the family in their structuring so that let's say 
wife has a very successful business, which she's going to sell. But if she also has all the other assets and the investment assets that the family have, then she will breach that net asset value if she goes over six million. Whereas had she come to me from the outset and had the conversations, we would have talked about who owns those investment assets, who should own those investment assets, how should it be structured? Um, other people in the family, you know, should she be involved in their businesses or should she just step back? So with those kind of cases, we can plan as we go and they're really good. Mm. The difficult cases, and I think I alluded to this in our last episode, is someone who turns up and they have a holiday home and in their mind, their holiday home is not included in that net asset value. Now, if it has been used solely for them, for their personal use and enjoyment, then it won't be included. But if they have allowed other people to stay there and they have charged rent and perhaps claimed some kind of an interest deduction or something, then that asset would come into their net asset value. And Mm. it means that, you know, for the sake of what might have been a small amount of rent, They might have jeopardized their access to these small business concessions. Mm. But it's also making sure that the right people in the family are holding the assets. As I said, you know, making sure that the investments and all the businesses aren't held by the same person. So it's trying to spread that wealth around in the business. So not having the same person in the family hold everything. What other stories have you seen along the way? Because in in the last um, episode, we were talking about some of those decisions perhaps that might be made when, um, when a business owner is getting involved with other businesses. So, you know, it might be that they're looking at holding um, a portion of equity in in another business. And we talked about the difference between um, a holding of greater than 50% versus a 40 to 50% holding versus a less than 40% holding. What, what are some, I mean, have you seen examples along the way of people who maybe had taken the 50% and they didn't realise that there could be such a massive difference had they have held 30% or 40% or done something else differently along yeah. the way? I've definitely seen those kind of cases where somebody's thought themselves as an angel investor in a company. And now if you're investing into a company and you're putting substantial funds in, you normally do want 50% because you're looking for that control aspect. But I had an individual who'd invested into a company, invested 50% into someone else's company, but he didn't actually take any real role in that company. He wasn't heavily involved in the company. There wasn't a huge amount of transactions between the company or anything. But because he took that 50% stake, then some of those assets then were brought into his net asset value calculation. And, you know, it may have been that it could have been structured in a different way. He could have had, say, 30, 40%, maybe some loans into the company. We could have looked at a way where it wouldn't have impacted on his net asset value calculations. Mm. There's also the situation of, I had an individual who was selling a business and they had a substantial bank balance. They'd been saving this money for years and they had it all held in their own name. Their spouse had hardly anything. So, you know, by by this individual holding all their family cash in their name, that was brought into net asset value and it put them up over the six million. And, you know. It is difficult for families and it depends on the type of family it is. I've Mm. dealt with a lot of Irish families in my time where, (laughs) you know, one person is holding all the assets because that's just the way it's done. And you have a lot of grown up children in the business and they they just have no assets in their own right. And the idea is all of these will pass on death. And that's 
that's not necessarily the best kind of planning. Or you have families where the eldest brother holds everything, but everyone is supposed to have an interest, but nothing is documented. Yeah, right. I suppose they're my hardest situations, the ones where they're not documented. So, you know, we could be talking to someone and going through and go, oh, you've got an investment property, it's worth 3 million. And he goes, oh, well, that's for me and my brother. It's not, but you've got it and you've always declared the rental income on it. And he goes, yeah, but we all know it's for me and my brother. (laughs) We all don't know it's for you and your brothers, you know. So according to all the documents, you own the property, you've declared the rental income, you've paid the tax on the rental income. And then you get the answer, well, I gave them their share of the money. And, you know, these kind Mm. of informal arrangements, while they might work fine for a couple of years, they do throw up these kind of problems at a later date. And it's not just with these concessions. It's problems on much wider scale. (laughs) This is where I suppose for advisors to be close to their clients and understand what's happening and yeah. Not to assume that somebody necessarily owns the asset just because they t- tell you they do. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm one of these people, you know, somebody tells me something when I'm doing tax planning advice, I always check their facts yeah. because what they want to be true or what they believe to be true might not necessarily be what the paperwork yes, says yes. or, you know, or it might just have been the way things were done in the family for a long time. I've come across cases where somebody thought they'd inherited a property and uh, they had never inherited the property. Oh my but their parents had told them they'd inherited it, but actually their parents had inherited it. Oh. You know, so there's all kinds of situations. Yeah. I, I suppose what, what I like doing is getting to the bottom of those kind of problems with people. And it's a bit like, you know, have you, have you ever tangled your jewellery and you've got to untangle all these chains? Yeah. Sometimes it is a bit like untangling all these things and laying them out. So you've got everything laid out and you can see who has what. Yeah. Well, I feel, I do feel sometimes our role um, from a legal perspective is a little bit like a detective as well, you know, as we're sort of like peeling back the layers and trying to get to the truth um, or or the truth that we're able to substantiate with documentation, you know, as well, because, you know, the truth from our client's point of view um, quite often will have to be proven. Um, So so I, I want to throw in some examples as well because there are some things that I see repeat quite regularly. And one of the things that I see repeat quite regularly is a lack of understanding about the difference in the um, in accessing concessions or, or the value of concessions that are able to be accessed when we when we're looking at shareholders of a company who are looking to sell their business and they 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 usually have looked at a business sale without considering the difference between selling the shares rather than selling the business out of the shares. And in some situations, it might be that they suddenly understand the tax differences very late in the transaction. And that can be a real problem because it can be very difficult to change the approach um, of a buyer in terms of visualising a transaction from the perspective of buying a business 
um, without the liabilities and the skeletons in the cupboard, as is always quoted, um, of a company. But if you know this early enough, there's actually some really great reasons for um, buyers to want to buy shares rather than the business themselves. And, and indeed, the larger the transaction value, the more likely it is that a buyer will want to um, undertake the, the acquisition uh, by way of share sale rather than business sale anyway, because of some um, great benefits that we can have in relation to transition of the business and, and retention of some of those um, and lowering risk of leakage of some of those assets that they're looking to purchase. But let, looking at it from a tax perspective, and, and sorry, I guess my point in all of that is if we get in early enough, there's a really good story to tell to help get buyers engaged in the way that works for a seller from a tax perspective. But there's a problem if the seller doesn't appreciate the tax perspective until too late in the transaction. Can you talk to us a little bit about what this difference is and what the difference can mean? Because I have literally seen it mean millions of dollars of difference, you know, in cash retained by a seller as opposed to tax paid. So maybe maybe talk us through your yeah, thoughts well, and maybe that, any stories as well. Yeah, I, I suppose starting off, we look at the concessions. The concessions can apply whether you sell shares or whether you sell a business out of a company. And it does come down to the active assets and everything else that we're going to be covering at the webinar. But I think what happens is a lot of... Um, probably advisors panic because they haven't been on top of whether or not the business structure is fit for purpose, whether mm. or not it will actually get those concessions. So then they look at, well, actually, maybe we'll just sell the assets out because we know this is a small business entity. We know we're going to get the reliefs and then we know we're okay. And I, I agree with you. It is very hard to sort of change change tack at the last minute, in particular where you've got the purchaser there who's all geared up to do, say, share acquisition. But I think where, where I've seen changes maybe is where there are assets in the company that the shareholders want to keep, but they hadn't thought about that before. And the kind yeah, of things that I see people right. want to keep, you know, maybe there's a warehouse that they've owned and their granddad owned this warehouse and this is been in the business for years and they never thought they were going to sell it and in their in their mind what was going to happen is the purchaser is going to buy the business and rent the warehouse mm. and then at the last minute they realize everything's in the wrapper of the company and they're yeah. selling the shares and then they have to do a u-turn on that and then you're trying to get to a position where you've got the sale of the assets out of the company, then the company, you're looking at whether or not you can have the concessions there. You were looking at whether you can pass that concession out to the shareholders mm. and how you pass that out to the shareholders. And then you're looking whether you have an individual in the business who can meet the concessional shareholder conditions as well. And that's a whole new, whole other story, that one. But, you know, there's lots of different issues there that will be going on. But, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about selling your business, then getting these kind of questions answered quite early on and getting mm. these kind of reviews done, I think, from my experience anyway, it puts you in a much stronger position with the purchaser. Because if you're trying to sell a business and, uh, you know, you're showing weakness to the purchaser because you're not really sure what you're doing and what you're yeah. selling, um, not saying all purchaser pounds, but there is sort of a purchaser there who knows that this seller is not really sure what's going on. And sometimes yeah. 
they can manage to change things. And um, I do have a very, very sad story, but it's not related to Australian tax, but it is a sad tax story in relation to somebody who had a structure done to to buy a business Mm. and he was buying it from other shareholders because the shareholders had fallen out and he wanted to stay, he wanted to buy the shares so he could keep the employees on Mm. and he wasn't going to profit from this. So the idea was that he was going to buy the shares from the individual using the funds from the company. And there was a way in which you could do that. And they would have got capital treatment and everything would have been fine. Then at the last minute, an email came from the vendors to say, actually, we want to change the way we're doing this because our advisor is not sure how our reliefs are going to work. So what's going to happen is we're going to do the shares one way and then you're going to get the money out of the company a slightly different way. But at the end of the day, it still gives us the same answer on the bottom. Now, It did financially, when you do the numbers, give them the same answer on the bottom. But what this individual had failed to look at is actually there was a big anti-avoidance provision by changing that structure at the last minute. So -hmm. this individual who was the purchaser ended up personally with a tax bill of about 900,000. Oh. And he hadn't received anything. Now, this, as I say, it's not an Australian tax case, but it is it is a reported case mm. and in the UK. But it, it just goes to show that, you know, changing a deal at the last minute yeah. can really, really change the tax consequences. And I, I think the saddest thing with this was the individual who it happened to was an accountant. Mm. So because he was an accountant, he didn't take tax advice because he thought, well, I don't need to take tax advice because mm. I'm an accountant. So, yeah. you know, it was a really sad story. And it's one of those stories that can, every time I see it, it does break my heart. It is actually going to the Supreme Court in the UK, but oh. I don't think it's going to be overturned because it just fell squarely into anti-avoidance. Oh. And one phone call to a tax professional could have spotted it. It was a glaring error. It was oh. something that could have been picked up. It wasn't something that nobody would have known about. It was an obvious error. Oh. So, yeah. So, so that's, uh, I suppose, I digressed a little there. But it's just seeing something like that happen, those kind of last-minute changes, it's just knowing the impact they're going to have on the tax position. Yeah. Because if you're the owner of the business who's made the sale, you change the deal at the last minute, you think you're getting the same tax consequences – you land the information into your accountant to do your return and they tell you you have a tax liability that you weren't expecting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just about, and I guess, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, but just to reiterate, it's about early planning, regular reviews and regular planning, and then that proper planning at the end um, where where you have your advisors working together um, as a team. You know, this is something that I talk about a lot, but I just think it's so important um, that, you, you know, the lawyers on a deal and, and the accountants and the, you know, the, the broker don't work in silos. Everyone needs to work together because when you change one element, sometimes that can have a really big impact on other elements. So, ultimately, when you're working as a team, however, in these transactions, you've got all of those eyes who are looking at it from all of those perspectives and going on that journey together to protect to protect you, you know. Yeah, exactly, Joanna. You know, at the end of the day, everyone's on the client's side. Yeah. So everyone needs to be pulling together. And 
I don't know about you, but my experience in transactions is if I solve a tax problem, then another problem pops up somewhere yeah. else. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like that toy. It's like the toy with the hammer. You know, when you hammer whack down one bit, something. Is it whack a mole? I, I don't know what the name <laughs> is, but that's what it's like. I solve a tax problem and a legal problem pops yeah, up. Yeah, the legal yeah. problem solved and then yeah. some commercial problem pops up somewhere yeah. else in the contract. <laughs> and you're right. It is about having that collaborative approach where everyone's working together and knowing that we're all on the side of the client. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, ultimately that just provides the best outcomes. Um, and, and also I find in those instances, you also have clients who um, are closer to the journey because it can be very confusing for clients at the end of the day, if they have one sort of messaging from their lawyers and then they go to their accountants who then come back with another message, you know, and they're, and they're sort of in the middle. So I, I think, when we can have that deal team together, it just it's it's better for everyone. Oh, absolutely! Because at the end of the day, you don't want the client as a middleman between the advisors, and yep. you know, working with a client and the other advisors, it's not a point scoring exercise. Yeah. It's about making sure you get your client over the line with the money in their pocket, the legals are right, the tax is right, and the commercials stack up. Yeah, it's about having all of that together at the same time. Yep, I totally agree. And, you know, the, our larger clients, I, I think for larger businesses, that is um, a, that isn't obvious. It's for SMEs yeah. who don't normally perhaps feel they have access to this integration of advisors where they, they miss that this is this is something for larger businesses that that is absolutely done and that is obvious. They have all yeah. the professionals at the table. Um, but SMEs need to understand how important it is for them too. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think part of it stems from, you know, when you when you start out in business, things are tough. You're careful where you spend your money, you're trying to grow your business. And as that business grows, it's having a slight shift in mentality as to what is important. Yes, you need to keep the growth going, but there's lots of things that need to happen in relation to structure and the legal side and everything else that need to be addressed as you go along. And, you know, over the years, I've had clients who've had, no, not saying they didn't know how big the business was, but because they were so busy working, they actually had no no feel for the how big their business had grown. Yeah. And I remember one of them coming and he was saying he wanted to buy a house and he told me how much this house was. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm just working out where I'm going to get the money. And I said, you have three times that in your company bank account. <laughs> and he said, but, but I need that in the business. I'm like, you don't. You absolutely <laughs> don't need it in the business. And he had been taking a modest salary, living in a modest house, living a very modest life. And his company was building up this incredible wealth but he didn't see it because yeah. he was out doing the day-to-day -day business, working with the guys they were doing in construction, and he hadn't got a feel for just how big his business had grown. And, you know, I love I love those kind of people because yeah, I find I that know. so refreshing as well. I know, I know. But, you know, once, once you have them on the page that this is what you need to look at, then they appreciate it and understand it. But, you know, it's not always obvious when you've got your head down growing a business. Oh, absolutely. Oh, we've got some clients like that. And it's... It's beautiful stories when you can be part of um, part of that realization as yeah. well. And ultimately, I think exit is uh, quite often that beautiful picture of that realization. And it's not always the case, though, because 
Um, sometimes, you know, um, sellers have a higher opinion of the value of the business than the market does. And sometimes things like tax get in the way. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and that, that opinion on the value can be quite difficult. And I, I used to, I used to lecture on selling businesses. And I used to do this lecture with this corporate finance person. And his lecture was seven deadly don'ts of selling a business. And he, like used, to go, he used to go all through these things. But the one thing he used to always say, he goes, don't name a price. Yeah. Because the minute you name a price, you put a ceiling on what you're going to get for your business because mm. you don't actually know what someone is thinking about paying for your business. And it could be that your business fits strategically with with them in a way you're not imagining you're just doing a x times turnover or x times profit because that's what the market does but you might have a niche or something different yes you need to get your business valued but you know it's always well what are you willing to pay me you put yeah. the offer to me don't yeah. put the offer out to them that's yeah. what, that's what I think anyway and it was always a very valuable lesson yeah well and I guess we hear we're also talking about you know ne- negotiation strategies but also about sitting in the seat of your buyer and understanding yeah. what might be important to them, what they might be thinking. And, and you know, coming back to um, this question about sale, I guess when, when we're looking at the structure of a sale and the tax consequences and then working out, you know, what we need to get our buyer across the line for, it really helps if we understand what's important for them, um, you know, in order for us to build the story so that they that they can fit in to our approach for what makes the most yeah. sense from a tax yeah. perspective. But the first step is understanding what that is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Wonderful, Paula. Well, look, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on to the Deal Room podcast for these last two episodes. Such an important topic, this whole topic of tax. And it is so important that we are, in fact, running a webinar particularly about these topics. And we're going to be talking about the expensive mistakes when selling your business. We're going to be looking at tax and we're going to be looking at a number of other things from a legal perspective as well. So make sure you tune into that webinar all about the expensive mistakes when selling your business so that you're not um, making some of those expensive mistakes. And um, of course, if you miss the live event, have no fear, it will be available for you on demand. Of course, you won't be able to come with your questions, but you will be able to reach out to Paula and I afterwards if you want to discuss your questions. Now, Paula, how do people contact you if um, they would like to have a discussion about tax planning in their business? Well, they can email me on ptalon, T-A-L-L-O-N, at prosperity.com.au. And uh, I'll always call you back because I love a good conversation about tax. that that is fabulous look i've had so much fun thank you so much for coming on the show today paula i've really enjoyed having you and i'm super looking forward to our webinar all about expensive mistakes to avoid when selling your business thanks paula thank you well that's it for our two-part series all about tax small business CGT concessions, and of course, war stories (laughs) with Paula Tallon, the Director of Taxation at Prosperity Advisors Group. Now, don't forget we have a webinar coming up very soon all about the expensive mistakes 
to avoid when selling your business. Paula will be talking about the tax implications and mistakes to avoid, and I'll be talking about the legal areas to look out for. Um, If you miss that live webinar, don't worry. You can still access an on-demand version to register for either the live or the on-demand version. Head over to the show notes Um, where you'll get a link straight through to the registration page. And if you'd like more information about this topic or to register and you can't access the show notes, then head over to our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com and find this episode, which is part two of this two-part series with Paula and I talking about tax. And you'll also be able to download a transcript of this podcast podcast episode if you'd like to do that and of course there you'll be able to register for the webinar that we have coming up and the benefits of turning up live is you'll also be able to ask questions which we'll answer live on that webinar. Over on our Deal Room podcast episode page you'll also find details of how to contact the fabulous Paula Tallon if you'd like some assistance with any of your tax planning and of course you will also find details of how to contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. Well, that's it. Hope to see you on the webinar. It's going to be a lot of fun. And otherwise, thank you again for listening. I'd love to have you on the show. I hope you enjoyed it as well. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 